A group of kids goes to visit a ranch. Behind the ranch house, the land stretches uninterrupted to the horizon. The rancher suggests that the kids go out and play. Now, if you tracked the paths of these naturally curious children, you'd find that they stayed close to the ranch house, not venturing far out onto the land. They would tend to remain in safe groups as they played. The next summer, the kids visit the ranch again. This time, the rancher has built a fence to create a large backyard. Again, the rancher sends the children out to play, but this time their paths would be quite different. You would see them venturing out to the very edges of the yard, exploring in this smaller but manageable space. They would move more freely and play more independently. Now this parable is based on a study of rats. I've turned this data into a more relatable story for you. Like the wide open land, the web offers an open expanse of design possibilities. If you believe the research and my parable of the ranch kids, you'll agree that this may be a bad thing. The study of the rats indicated that open spaces elevated anxiety, while enclosed spaces reduced anxiety. If you're designing for the web, you're in an open space of possibility. This, according to the research, results in an anxiety response. There's a whole lot more unknown out there, and every place feels a little dangerous. Alternatively, if you fence yourself in, you actually increase the area of consideration. Anxiety is reduced. Exploration is encouraged. But you also find quickly that there are boundaries. I keep this study in mind because I see data as a fence. It creates an enclosed space, a space that can encourage exploration, but it can also create a sense of limitation. Designers are a tough bunch. They want guidelines, but they hate the idea of limits. This makes them seem like divas sometimes, difficult to please in any situation. So what is a data-driven marketer to do? Well, I decided to put a designer on the spot. Welcome to Intended Consequences, a podcast from Conversion Sciences. I'm Brian Massey, and I believe that anyone is capable of using behavioral science to get the results their business needs. It delivers intended consequences, and I'll teach you how to harness it. Most people quit thinking when they reach a solution that they're satisfied with. Well, that's fine, <laughs> but it doesn't mean there's, that's the only solution in, in living in a world where everybody expects everything to be tailored to them. Everybody has a different psychological persona, and it's our job to present everything in the way that they want it or lose to the person that does. How do you deal with designers who want guidance but hate limitations? In other words, how do you introduce data into the design process without putting your creatives in a straitjacket? I asked a designer. In fact, I asked a designer who we've been doing this to for over a year now. Tom Niemeyer has been the designer amongst nerds here at Conversion Sciences. And if there is any doubt that conversion optimization can be improved by a good sense of design, well, Tom has put that to rest for us. For me, the question is this. How close to the ranch house do you put the fence? This topic required two episodes, so listen to what he says in part one. First of all, tell us just how you got here. How did you, 
what was the path that you took that turned you into a designer um, that was clearly passionate about uh, having data as a, as a partner sitting at your desk? Yeah, so uh, going all the way back to the start really briefly, I, I grew up one of the uh, first young right minds out of school in digital design. So I was sort of one of the first generations to come out of school looking at this digital world just wide-eyed at what the web was going to do. And I think what brought me here and really over the last decade was really kind of that passion for answering the question of how do I know the things I'm designing, that I what I'm creating is the best, is uh, the most effective for users. You know, how do I, to your point, make sure that I'm not just designing for the deadline or for the decision maker, i.e. the executive, sometimes the VP, you're right, needs to come in and just affect change regardless of what's happened previously and whether that's worked or not. Um, as we have now coined the term emotional redesign, if you will, versus data-driven, right? Emotional redesign. Yeah. Say more about yeah. that. Um, well, that's essentially the notion of I'm going to run to something or from something. Sometimes we're running from our old website more than running toward the new website. So I, I've kind of over my last year and really um, I'd say decade of, of looking at how data affects creativity um, more importantly, design and getting out the assets that you need to hit a calendar and keep a business going, sort of developed this notion of the three Ds, which the first one is designed for a deadline, right? Meaning, okay, so we've signed up to, somebody's hired us to design something. We now have a block of time. I need to design towards that deadline, meaning I've got to take all of these ideas, brainstorm all of this, and then get it to some point in time that we schedule a review meeting. Or So there's some expectation. The other is, Kind of you, you mentioned this notion designing for the decision maker. Sometimes that is the new executive. Sometimes it's the highest paycheck in the room. Sometimes it is the most skilled person in the room. Uh, although if we're admitting, you know, uh, that's probably less often <laughs> than, than we would all like. Um, and then the last is really, uh, if you want to get to the why, the philosophical why of why I'm here, it is what I'd like to get to, which is designing toward the desired path. Uh, so the notion there is around desired paths is um, we've all seen the college campus or the, the sidewalks built in a neighborhood. And we've all seen where a path cuts through the grass because those users of those sidewalks decided here is that better path. And so when we talk about data in design, I believe that that's what everybody is truly striving for and what we all aspire to. Um, and then there are, as you've mentioned, and why. Uh, this interview is interesting <laughs> and why this job and plight is interesting is, is what does that really look like in today's world? And I, I love the notion that you say, which is that conversion optimization work. It is design. It is little pieces of iterative design. And I think what makes it compelling and that aha moment you speak of is when you realize that's essentially designed through answering each of those questions in little bits and then seeking the answer in those little bits rather than most designs come through by saying, okay, we have a real big problem. We have a real big thing that we want to solve for, right? And that real big thing is probably an accumulation of those smaller things. So it's kind of, I think what's unique here is that, that we are beginning to kind of working to demystify that series of smaller things that amount to a bigger thing. We get the advantage of seeing that kind of play on the other side of that, that silo, if you will and and try to answer those questions but then map all of that back to design rather than designing specifically for the decision maker or the deadline and yeah. of course those are those are real that there's a reason why that is those are real world challenges at some point you have to make a decision even when we're optimizing or testing you know we'd like for that to be the most informed possible but at some point you do have to sort of 
put your iron in the fire and and, and get it heated up to see yeah because what we're going to get back with and without data the deadlines are are very real and I wanted to go back to those images of the sidewalk going off to the left and then the beaten path through the graphs going off to the to the right. And I think my problem with those in terms of the web is that the truth is that if you only offer the sidewalk, people turn around and walk the other way. In other words, they leave your website. You don't really see that in a park. They'll they'll find their way through the grass. And, you know, we find that determined buyers will get through the worst checkout process. You don't think that civil engineers are looking at the bounce rate for their park? <laughs> I don't think they are. I, I don't think it's even on their radar. I was also curious about, uh, so what made you go into design in the first place? Yeah, I was, I think, lucky in the way that I, I never had to wonder where I wanted to go. Even in high school, I opted into like the vocational programs for advertising design. I think even going back to what I do now in the creative field, I was always a little bit of an oddball, hence the designer who's seeking out data uh, early on and understanding and asking those questions from an objective standpoint. And that curiosity, and, and that was the same thing that took me into the beginning days of the web and, and digital media, even a little bit of that backwards where I was working in advertising agencies and began doing print stuff. But I think more than anything, the intriguing opportunity, the curiosity and the questions, right, that we're still really working hard to answer because they keep changing the modality in front of us. Well, and there's this with print, you were limited by that medium. Maybe we're going to do three color, maybe we're going to do full color. But we knew that we had to have something that was static on the page uh, that would catch the attention of somebody flipping or through a magazine or something like that. Now we're on the web when we can have anything. We can have any color, any font, any size. We can have video. We can have animation. We can have whatever we want. For better and worse, right? Exactly. So, uh, you know, as a designer, it was it's a much more easy to have these boundaries uh, for you. And uh, there's an example I use. If you put kids into a big field out in the country, they're going to stay in a small group and huddle close together. If you put a fence around it, they're going to explore out to the edge of that <laughs> fence. To an extent, I think data is that. I also think that designers are afraid that data is going to paint them into a corner or limit them. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's understandable, but it's, it's, uh, it's fear-based, right? It seems like a uh, foreign voice if you're on a larger team walking into a room for review with somebody from the data team is going to seem more combative than it was nurturing. Um, and I think that those are the things that have changed. I can tell you in the last decade, you know, I've seen creative directors that are now hungry for data versus 10 years ago. And I, I think some of that's probably built in part of the designer training, like any other highly skilled profession is to learn to defend your designs, is to learn to um, rationalize what you're doing. Again, I think the goal is now more than ever for data to be a piece of that, if not the primary driver of that. But it's a little bit of stay out of my sandbox. It's not unlike uh, what you get from developers or product folk or you know anybody that's, I think in the video world, we used to talk about the rat with their cheese and how hard they try to protect their cheese. Um, so, and that comes down to personality type. Again, I think that those walls, as the world gets more educated, as data becomes more pervasive and, and accessible, um, you've seen that change. Uh, right now, it looks more like those who are able to embrace um, that stuff in an insightful and actionable manner are just ahead of, ahead of the game a little bit more. And so society, the world tells you that to some degree, you have to have almost this innate quality in order to go there and 
maybe there's some truth in that. There are some rock star designers out there, but for the majority of us who put it into, okay, I have interest, therefore I'm going to develop skills, training and everything else, you know, it is to say, okay, now there's this new factor. Now there is data. What does it really mean? And I don't have that innate quality. At least that's what people tell me. I don't have the innate quality of looking at that set of spreadsheets and getting the story from it. There was a, an article I read recently talked about intuition uh, and the importance of intuition, but it defined intuition as an, a natural ability to, to be able to determine what is important, what pieces of information are the overriding it. I think uh, our friend Kahneman would say that it's about understanding, remembering the baseline. And what, what Kahneman calls is this is forgetting the baseline. And this intuition article said that people who are good at understanding what the primary movers are, what you should really be looking at, is what drives intuition, not a gut feeling. And that does come from experience. So my takeaway from that was if we can provide more data, if we can provide more of the here's what's important, those designers are going to do a better job. I did want to ask you, though, about how you've reacted when one of your best loved, most beautiful designs comes back from an A-B test as the loser. Doesn't even beat the control because this is what happens when we do A-B testing. I think there's plenty, there's certainly plenty of examples and less than it may be being strategically or tactically specific. So I mean, specifically uh, do testimonials work on product pages, right? And that's a best practice known from our playbook. Yeah. Yeah. And certainly it's one of the top ones in the playbook. If it's not there, how can we help people to get more and, or at least create a test bed so that we can justify, you know, the, the business case around, uh, you know, either finding a solution or doing the work yourself to get reviews. That said, it's surprising to me that even a tactic like that across a, a user base or a, a company's consumer base is pretty disparately different. Right. And, and some of it comes down to this. And this is what I start to love is, is this about UI? Is this about content? Is it a mixture of both, i.e. the experience that they're getting? So um, does it become about that specific PDP or that specific testimonial that we selected? Does it become about how we displayed it and merchandised it for the user? Those types of things. I, I think, you know, that's one whereby that's a good example of most of the time we've seen that work. And so we all want to go to this works. I know it really does matter for everybody's user base and it does matter uh, what type of content we're putting out there and those types of things. So yeah, yeah, yeah. There is no sort of universal playbook for these types of things. Um, another great example I would say is free shipping. Free shipping is consistently oh, I love this. Yeah. Top, of, top of mention lists for consumer consideration. So from a design perspective, every single product page that I'm looking at or category page, one of the first elements I'm looking at, you know, when you do the eye scan test or the five second test is, okay, where did price fall into that for me? And again, um, you know, most of them are offering free shipping at some level based on my threshold. So we've tested everything from um, notifications in, you know, uh, right within eye scan view of you need this much more to ship some places for some of our clients that's worked for others it has not some of them are equal they sell the same product they're different brands but they both sell tattoo uh supplies yes right? this, this has been an interesting and uh, ran the same test one of them did free shipping and uh one of the others did free shipping and not the same results at all so to your point it's an example where it's hey not only we're we going to take this from our playbook this worked over here 
I know that this is going to work. I've, I don't know how many times we hear clients or we'll say it ourselves, whereas we're still human. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where you'll say, no, I know that this is going to work. I feel really good, really confident. Or, you know, it's that no brainer idea. If we can just get them past this and show them, hey, by spending 11 more dollars, you're going to get free shipping. We're sure to see average order value conversion rates go up. Uh, and then it comes back, you know, two weeks or so. Yeah. <laughs> I want to, I want to drive, I want to drive this point home because so these are, Two sites that sell tattoo equipment to uh, tattoo parlors. So they're in the same business, sell similar products, different brands. Um, they're both working with us because they're both under the same umbrella company. So this is, this is we're not um, crossing the Chinese wall, so to speak, on this. And something as impactful as highlighting free shipping had a different impact even though these are two very similar businesses. And this, I want this, this underscores that your audience, whoever you are, is different. It's different from your competitors. It's different from your sister companies. It's different because of a myriad of things. And I think that this really underscores it. The other thing I want to point out from what you're talking about is, so you just listed five or six variables that go into the very simple process of putting someone's testimonial on a product page, where it goes. Do you provide a picture? Do you provide a headline? You know, what do you put in the signature line? Does it How have long does it? Does it have rating stars? Does yeah, it have yeah. rating stars? So if you think about just adding a testimonial to a product page, the number of assumptions that you have to make into that, and then you multiply that by all of the elements in a redesign and the potential number of things that you could do, it becomes a bit overwhelming. And I, you know, I, I wouldn't blame a designer for going like, you know, there's just too much. We can't test all of that. So why don't we stick with my intuition? Cause I've been doing this for 15 years and I'm smart and you know, the boss is going to think what I do is pretty. Uh, what would you say to that person? Is it throwing up your arms or? Uh, no, I don't think it's throwing up your arms. I, I would say two things. Um, one, it's going to depend on your organization and I envision, uh, much like myself, as these things become to become more real, as more designers learn how to interpret or find resources for data, and, and I mean that meaning, I think you see more people looking at more of it, understanding more Google Analytics, they wanna understand at the very least directional insight. Here's what things that I know I'm working, um, if they're keeping up, you know. They're at the very worst gonna get that from best practices, they're at the very best gonna be able to have a team that they can interface with and have this as a conversation if you're part of a larger organization. If you're not, you know, there are plenty of Google training uh, and certifications and things like that. Step outside a little bit of your comfort zone so that you can be um, an ambassador of design over the data and, and vice versa and turn those others into that as well because I believe everybody really wants to be having that conversation. The second thing I would say is every shop right now from a design standpoint if they're doing a project in a silo they're trying to infuse data so they're going to use validately they're going to use user testing those things continue to grow so i'm not telling anybody anything new i just think it's important to say okay well here in that pdp testimonial case with our clients the question got raised how do we know that's the best testimonial of any of them right it really gets into the some of the psychology of testing yeah. And I think that that is, that's where the sense of urgency should come from because let me take your example. Can we collect some qualitative data that tells us if adding a testimonial to a product page works? Well, it turns out you can, but you can 
if you put it in front of people and you say, does this testimonial make you feel better about the brand? You're going to get crap data no, because you're pointing it out. If you put that in front of, you know, 50 people in a panel and ask them, does this business seem credible? And bury that among a couple of other questions that you're asking. You're going to get a more realistic uh, impression than taking that another group of 50 with the control with the, without the testimonial and asking them that same question. Put those, those questions on a Likert scale, one through five, and suddenly you've got something pretty quantitative that's telling you, okay, this is a test that we should um, spend some traffic on and take to an A-B test. Then you find out, yes, it does win. That's when you say, okay, now how can we make this better? How can we mine this vein of gold a little bit more? So we'll add the title. We'll change what the signature line is. We'll make it longer or shorter, actually change the text and see if we can double down on it. This, this all sounds like it takes a lot of time. I've got deadlines. I'm lucky to be able to get wireframes and mock-ups out in the time that I've got. What's your advice to people in terms of how we create time for doing these tests? I would go with the single rule of a human being that does anything multiple times continues to get better at it. <laughs> and so what I would say is I, I think you're right. As people are trying these things and they're new, it's going to seem in a linear sort of project management standpoint, like I'm just going to be adding steps. What I would surmise is if done right, it should help you eliminate steps. It should actually free up cycles, free up days. Um, and I'm saying, I understand that there's probably a little bit of a learning curve to that. But, you know, we've all seen design processes, implementation processes, QA processes get more and more complex over the last few decades, right? As well as get more rapid and more iterative. And I, I think that that's the way that this continues to happen, needs to continue to progress to becoming part of more of an integrated cycle rather because what happens and this happens admittedly with us, we may work with an outside design firm and they come in and they want to do their process and they want to do it just like they've always done it. And then they want to add on this review process and that can work, but it's not optimal. So even if it's an internal team, they're bolting on. I, I don't think this conversation that I'm bringing forth is new or revolutionary. It's what's maybe a better way to answer that is somehow we are doing it here, which is working lockstep. We're on the same calls. I get to hear that data perspective. You know, somebody on my team gets to hear that data perspective. So they, they kind of create a little bit of a unit and you get continuity just like you would with any other account manager because this person has a data story. That's actually a unique view that most of the business people, marketing people and creative people on our clients teams don't necessarily have either. Right. We become that trusted advisor will imagine adding in the ability to take that in real time, make design changes and iterations and then test them, <laughs> right? Or if we're in more of a, a redesign, like a larger redesign, we're solving for that larger problem, building sites such that they are built for testing and iteration, not built to get across that finish line, stand there, make everybody feel good, do some rah, 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 see how long that lasts. And then when do we reset the cycle on, well, I don't feel good about the site. I'm not sure it works or represents what we do now. We need a huge redesign, right? Versus, hey, the site is actually, I can tell you based on data, a reflection of what our users truly want and how they see us. Well, and the, the beauty of that is that we're probably the only website design agency that can guarantee results because we will have already done the testing and so forth. Let's talk about... That also is a good answer back to what you said. How do you handle whenever uh, 
a test comes back and maybe you were co- confident and positive. So, oh, well, God, yeah. that's not exactly the goal anymore, right? The goal is to know definitively. And so in that way, I look at it as it's the, it's the constant question, right? One of the ch- sayings I heard early in life that has always stuck with me and it applies in a professional and personal sense is that the notion that most people quit thinking when they reach a solution that they're satisfied with. Well, that's fine, <laughs> but it doesn't mean there's, that's the only solution in, in living in a world where everybody expects everything to be tailored to them. Everybody has a different psychological persona <laughs> and it's our job to present everything in the way that they want it or lose to the person that does When you get back from the kitchen, normally, I would say when you get back to the office, but when I'm recording this, most of us are working from home. So the three D's that Tom talks about, these are fences, deadlines, decision makers, desire paths. What are the primary limiters of your design process? Now, this is going to require some honesty on your part. On a scale of one to five, rate your current project. So one to five. Is deadline the king? One to five. Is the decision maker the queen? One to five. Is the end user, their desire path, the one-eyed jack? How are each of these impacting your design? So how did you score? Most likely there are two that will dominate, and this pattern shows up in all of your projects. Would your teammates agree? Maybe you should ask. In part two of my conversation with Tom, we talk about defending your design with data. Subscribe to get that next episode. And don't forget to send us your questions. Email me at podcast at conversionsciences.com. I know it's long, but it's spelled just like you think. Now go science something.